Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. You, no, you got to hit this. Come on. There you go. All right. <clears throat> okay, Sam. I want you to get up and run to the back and touch the door and get back and let's see if I can be done with the sermon in time, okay? Not a chance. It won't happen. Um, We're thankful you're here this morning. We're grateful that God has uh, brought us here to be able to worship. And guys, we're going to be looking at a scripture this morning that kind of tells the story of what happened after the resurrection. Now, Understand, when Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, there was a period of time that he was around some of the the folks in in Jerusalem. Biblical scholars believe, and the Bible tells us, that probably about 400 people saw Jesus after the resurrection. Now, think with me for a minute. If you are going to deny the resurrection... If, if, if that was your goal, and, and the Romans certainly had it in, in their best interest, and the Jews had it in their best interest to say, hey, look, this is a fabric of imagination. It never really happened. Then they would have gone ahead and said, nobody saw him except these people that were already committed to him. And yet what we find is there's no denial of the resurrection. It happened because nobody would deny that it didn't. They, people saw Jesus. So they had for a fact that he was raised from the dead by God. It fit into the Messianic prophecies. And after a while, and you know in in Matthew 28, we get what we call the Great Commission where, where Jesus tells his disciples, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do. We get the second commission in Acts chapter 1. Now Acts chapter 1 is kind of married to Acts chapter 2. And you have to know, you, you, have to, you have to look at the first chapter of Acts to understand this is Jesus going up. That's the story of Acts chapter 1. Jesus going up. He's ascending into heaven. Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit of God coming down. So what happened after Jesus' resurrection? Well, wonderful things. People saw him. The resurrection was confirmed by a host of people. It was not not denied by anyone. And this is the story of what happened after Resurrection Sunday. It is the promise, as Brenda shared just a moment ago, it's the promise of our Lord who always keeps His Word. He always does. We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I'm going to invite you to stand together. We read God's Word. And we stand to honor the perfect and holiness of God's Holy Word. Read with me. After his suffering, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. There have been times that as a pastor I have wanted to move this pulpit to the very back of the church. We as Baptists kind of have a little way of doing things, which is when you come into a building, oftentimes you sit in the back it's very thoughtful that you're going to go ahead and let all of those other latecomers go ahead and come forward. That's very nice of people. But there's a reason that the back of the church is oftentimes... Now, look, look. okay, everybody in the front half of the church, turn around and look at all these folks back there. All y'all in the back, wave. Go ahead, wave. There you go, yeah. All right. It doesn't mean these are bad people. It doesn't mean they're longhorns. It just means that they are, they are people that chose to sit back there. Now, Baptists have been known by a bunch of different names. We were known as Shouting Baptist, okay? Shouting, because we would go ahead and participate in the sermon. And if the pastor happened to say something that we agreed with, we would get a loud chorus of, there you go. And it happened more frequently than not. And if the pastor stopped the sermon early, he got what? If the pastor stopped the sermon early, he got... That is horrible, all right? We got to work on being shouting Baptists here, okay? What ended up happening is as, as the disciples had gathered around Jesus... He's raised from the dead. They had been scattered. If you remember the the story of the crucifixion, when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, they split. And they all didn't run to the same places. They, They kind of ended up going their own way and then gathering back together a little later on. We as Baptists oftentimes go ahead and want to wait. We want to wait. We wait for things. And guys, listen, if you're here this morning and, and it's easier to go ahead and become disinvolved and wait for things, let me share with you some good news. The very command that Jesus gave his disciples before they ended up going out and spreading the gospel all over the known world at the time was this. He said to them, wait for God to do his work. Wait for God to do His work. Oftentimes we see a need in church and we go directly to apply our skills to meet that need. 
But God's church is different. He is in charge and He sets the agenda and He points the direction and He does the preparatory work. So the real question is, if God tells you and me this morning to wait, what is it that you and I do? Well, the disciples were told to do the most difficult task possible. Wait. Wait. Is there anything that is more unctuous to you and me than being told you need to wait? Try telling a child you need to wait before you get a cell phone. See how that works. You need to wait before you get the car that you want. You need to wait until, and then you give a list of directives that have to happen before that needed or wanted item is in their grasp. You and I don't wait well. One of the things I can remember is at the time that I was growing up, you could get your permit at 15 years old. And I remember thinking, boy, I can't wait till I turn 15. And when I was 15 years old, my mom and dad uh, let me sign up for a course at our high school that was offered that would, that would fulfill the, the parts of the Texas statute law that would allow you to get, to get a permit. And I can remember that. And then when I was 16 years old, I ended up, the very day I was there, my mom and dad took me down to the driver's license place in Farmer's Branch, and I was able to get my license at 16 years. I was so proud. And I have a picture. It was pouring rain. And I have a picture. And I had really long hair at the time. And there's this picture. My wife has seen it. And she told me, she said, if I had known you back then with you with long hair that was in a ponytail, I would not have married you, okay? So that picture will never be seen again, all right? Just take my word, it really did happen. Folks, listen. The disciples were told to wait, and they were to wait for a specific thing, and that was the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is part of the three part of the three parts of our Lord. It is a he. It is a he, okay? It's not an it. The Holy Spirit acts as a way of encouraging you and me, drawing you and me to, to fellowship with God. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit has to be that thing that initially moves you and me to a relationship with Christ. The Holy Spirit gives you power to do things that you can't do. Several years ago, I held up a dollar bill. I think it was a $5 bill. Held it up, and I remember that we had a young man who was up here that had his fingers about this far apart. We've done it several times. And I said, now you need to go ahead and catch the dollar bill as I drop it. And he would sit there and he would pinch and pinch and try the best he could to get it. He was even anticipating. There was actually a doctoral study that was done on this very thing that you and I, when we see that, and this one fellow that it was, he was at Harvard Medical School of all places, and he figured out that the neural transmission that your eye sends to your brain and then your brain sends to your fingers could not operate fast enough for that dollar bill to be caught. You could anticipate it, but the, the, nerve se- the sending of the chemical nerve signals was not fast enough for you to be able to do it on your own. Guys, you and I cannot do the work of God on our own. We don't have the physical ability. We may have great talents here. I don't know who it was, but somebody in the back of the church this morning was singing wonderfully well. I've, I've heard your voice somewhere before. 
It was wonderful. And I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, you know, that person needs to not be sitting out there but needs to be up here so we can all enjoy the great gift that God has given a her. It was a her. Are you pointing her out? She's trying to hide right now. Okay, so here's the deal. You have an open invitation at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night to come and join Ross's choir, okay? Ross, I got you, buddy. We got, we, we've got a good one over here. I was enjoying listening to that person as, as she was singing, but the skills that God has given her cannot, cannot be used by God to fulfill His kingdom work in her own power. You and I must be filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And what Jesus tells His disciples is you must wait for that. You also must do something else. You have to know that, that Jesus told His disciples, not only are you to wait, but you're to remain together. Now this was dangerous because they were still all wanted men. Over 400 people had witnessed Jesus' resurrection and the Jewish leaders had no answer except, except to get rid of those people that were followers of Jesus. Think of the Apostle Paul. His mission and his job was to hunt down Jewish believers in Jesus as Messiah. And he took this seriously. And he began to go ahead and hunt them with absolute impunity. And there were people like that even during this time right after the resurrection. People that would say, I believe that Jesus was Lord. And they would be persecuted and even to the point of being beaten and ostracized from their communities. The disciples had no reason to stick together except for the fact that Jesus told them to. And they did. When they did this, Acts chapter 2 signals the end of the waiting period and the beginning of the walking period. And you and I this morning are in that walking stage of the gospel. That part of the story. You know the story of what happened. Peter. Peter is the last guy you would want to be on the loyalty train. Okay? He is the last guy you'd think of being loyal. Peter ends up going ahead and preaching a sermon in the temple among the Jews. And as he's preaching this, he has four main points. These are the points. You killed the Messiah. You killed him. The second point. There's no way that you can undo the first point. You can't undo it. The third, it was a sin so grievous to God that your soul and your relationship with God is in peril. And then he gives them the only string of hope. And he says, but God still wants you. And he wants you to go ahead and become a follower of his. This is the guy that denied Jesus three times. The third time he denied Jesus, he cussed like a sailor to do it so he wouldn't be using Jesus' language among the people that were around the campfire. This is the fellow that when Jesus confronts him about that is timid in his way that he approaches the Lord. It's also the guy that is impulsive enough that when he sees Jesus and he's on the shore, he decides, I'm going to get out of the boat because I saw Jesus walk on water and he said that if... The, if if he gives me what he has, I can walk on water. And he starts walking out there and the waves were huge around him. And he begins to look down and he gets scared and starts to sink. And Jesus, of course, reaches down and grabs him and says, You know, 
You lost the faith to be able to do the work of God. The faith to do the work of God is not the measuring stick of doing the work of God. The Holy Spirit becomes that gift that God gives to you and me so that we can go ahead and do all of what God's going to listen. Guys, God wants this to be a Holy Spirit-filled church. God wants you to be Holy Spirit Christ followers. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to go ahead and hop pews and lay hands on people and smack them on the head and say heal. That's not the Holy Spirit. That is man's interpretation of what we think God wants. If you want to know what God wants, listen to me. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Listen to Him and wait for Him. Upward basketball is one of my favorite things to do because upward basketball gives me a chance at halftime to go ahead and share the gospel with lots of folks that don't go to church anywhere. This is the only church they're going to get. And I had one game that I really enjoyed doing, and it was setting up these little cones apart from each other. They were probably no wider than, apart than, than these pews are wide. And I would have a husband and a wife do this. And we blindfold the husband. And as the husband's blindfolded, I said, now listen, all of you people in the gym, there's usually about 150 people in the gym. I said, all of you people, I want you to make a lot of noise. I want you to yell, all right? It is okay to yell today, all right? So we're going to practice that right now. I want you all to yell for three seconds. Ready? One, two, three. Let's pretend that your college football team just scored the winning touchdown against your arch, arch rival. What would it sound like? Did you just give a longhorn thing? Okay, all right. We've got several longhorns here. All right, folks, receive them with grace and mercy, all right? Here's the deal. I get the crowd yelling and screaming, and then I have this fella who's blindfolded. His wife's in front of him. She can't touch him, but she begins to talk to him and say, take a step forward. And he's walking between these cones, and if he touches the cones, they lose the prize. The prize is always a huge chocolate candy bar that he can give his wife, okay? And every time I've done that, the guy's made it through. Why? Because he's listening specifically not to all the noise around him, but to one voice. Folks, you and I are to listen to one voice, and it is the voice of the Holy Spirit of the living God who wants to walk with you and move you into the place where you are used by God, where God can use your great, your great gifts and abilities, your gifts and abilities to glorify Him, not to go ahead and be the person that is singing well or doing well, doing things that are wonderful. When we see things that need to be done, and we say, hey, that needs to be done for the glory of God, the first thing we ought to ask ourselves is, God, before I do anything, I'm going to stop and ask you, is this what you want? And I'm going to wait until the Holy Spirit says yes. You see, part of what God does is tell us that we are to wait on Him And after we wait, then we get the orders of of God. And your orders are always clear. When Jesus told the disciples what they are to do, He says, I want you to start here in the nearest point in Jerusalem 
with the people who know you best. God wants you to be the person that will start at the nearest point of your life with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones, because they're going to be the hardest ones. They know who you are, they've seen what you've done, and they know everything about you. Then you go to the big city. Then you go to the other areas. We're taking a trip to go to Honduras. It's going to be led by by some of our team. It's a group that that has gone down there several times. Joe's One of Joe's family members has taken a group down there for years and years. Kyle up at, up at Anderson Baptist Church has been going to Honduras for years and years and years. I found out Central Baptist has a ministry to an orphanage and other places for years and years and years in the country of Honduras. Why do we have that flag up there? It's just a mental reminder that we can pray for the folks that are going to be going to Honduras, that God's going to go ahead and empower them with His Holy Spirit and lead and direct them. Now, folks, listen. We should never, we should never, ever send people halfway around the world to share the gospel if we're not willing as a church body to share it with the folks that live next door to us. That's a violation That's a violation of the Scripture we just read. God says start here first. Do ministry here first. When Joe said, we're going to do a mission trip and it's not going to be down to the valley, we're going to do it here in Navasota. There's a reason for that, folks. So that we win the right to be heard when we share the Gospel. So that you as a church family can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go to a person that has seen seen you at your very best and at your worst, and you can share the gospel with them. That's Holy Spirit power. That's what God wants you to wait for. He wants you to be able to bear witness. Now, this is a key component. When Jesus shares this in Acts chapter 1, He says, bear witness, be my witnesses. The key component, a witness can only share what he or she has seen or experienced. You cannot bear witness for something that you have not seen or experienced. So what has God done in your life? Now this isn't about telling how bad you used to be, but instead it's about telling how good God really is right now in your life. Let me ask you a question this morning. What would you say that God has done well in your life? What would you say, hey, I didn't deserve this. I'm grateful I didn't get what I deserve. But God has blessed in that He has, what would it be? You've got to have three people that will say this before we get done with this part of the point. What is it? One person. What? Your wife? Well, I, I know who your wife is, Skip. Okay. God's blessing was your wife. You have won the prize, buddy. You have won the prize. Somebody else. That God loves you absolutely and completely. Before you even loved Him, He loved you. One more. Peace. Children. Health. God's given you salvation. God's listen. Bearing witness means this is what God, these are the things I've experienced and that God has blessed me with. And you and I are called by God to be able to do that under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? 
Several years ago, we had a couple in a church, previous church that I pastored, that desperately wanted to go ahead and have a child. And they, they, they longed for this. Stacy and I had gone through that exact same condition. And one of the things that, that happened was, as we began to kind of share with them not our own burden and things, we could bear witness that God is faithful. God will answer. He will always answer your prayer. It won't be in the time He may say, wait a while. Stacy and I prayed specifically that we wanted a baby, okay? Now, the good old-fashioned way of making that happen, y'all probably know about, we won't go into that in church today, but see Joe on Wednesday night, he's talking about, he's doing a study on sexual relationships with our teenagers, and if you've got any questions, see Joe, okay? He's also experienced, and he's a dad twice over. So he knows what he's talking about. As we were talking with them, God had not yet given us our youngest child, Caitlin. We had to be faithful and bear witness to a God, of a God that had given us children, but not the way we thought it would happen. But you know what? God had heard our heart desire way, way, way back. And all of a sudden, we got to be in a birthing room with a little girl who came out absolutely bellowing. She hasn't stopped yet. I share that with you because God is faithful, and I can bear witness to that. But He also says, not only bear witness, but bear fruit. Bear fruit. If you are connected to God, then you will bear fruit. If you belong to the Lord... You will be after what He is after ultimately, and that is the people that don't know Him. Let me ask you this. Who was the last person you shared your faith with? And when was that? If you want to be a Christ follower, it means you will be like Him and you will reproduce, not yourself. You won't make people that dress like this on a Sunday morning come to church. What you will do is you will reproduce Jesus in the most visible way for somebody who can see in you the Lord Jesus. You cannot do that by yourself. Remember this. You can't catch that dollar. You can't make those fingers work. You cannot be Christ without being led by Christ, without knowing Christ. What does it mean to know Him? It means that you have a faith relationship that by grace through faith, Jesus has forgiven your sin and come into your life and He is boss. Folks, I don't want a single person from this church to go to Honduras that doesn't know Jesus because they're going to be looked at as either a Christ follower or an American. And the deadliest thing we could do is send down a bunch of Americans the greatest thing we can do is send a bunch of sold-out Christ followers that will witness and bear witness of Jesus, that will witness and bear fruit for others to see. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, kindness, you know the list in Corinthians. All of those things are bearing fruit by the, the witness of the Holy Spirit. That's what you and I are called to do right here, right now, 
in our fair city. And before we can ever send anyone else out, we ought to be willing to bear witness here. And then the last thing, stop waiting and, and watching. Stop waiting and watching. The two men that were with, with the disciples as they're looking up, and imagine, I've seen this happen before. Folks that will take a balloon, helium-filled, and they'll let it go. And you can watch people, and they're checking out their eyesight the whole time. They're watching. They go, there goes the red balloon. There it goes. And the winds are hitting it towards the northwest because we got southeast winds coming. There it is. And I'm going to see if I can still see it. And people begin to drive. Hey, do you still see it? Yep, I do. Yep, yep, yep. Nope, 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 nope. And they're looking up going, I think I still see And all of a sudden, these two men come and say, why are you still looking for Him? Why are you looking for Him? He's coming back. But in the meantime, you've already been given your marching orders. Stop waiting. Start walking. Start walking your walk with Jesus. Church, it is time that we stop waiting for church to happen and start walking our faith outside of these doors as well as when we walk our feet in here to go ahead and give glory to God. This ought to be the launching pad for what we do outside of the church, not the place that we come in to say, well, let me go ahead and get recharged. That's not it. This is the place where we worship the Lord, where His Holy Spirit gathers all of us together like the disciples were told to do. Gather together so that I can pour out in you what people that didn't come here on Sunday need to experience. And you take the worship of the Lord out to them. Church, that's our job. That's what you and I are called to do. To worship the Lord here and then to go out there. It's time to stop waiting and start walking. Let's pray. Holy Father, You call us to do so many, so many, many great things that we cannot do on our own. One of them is especially difficult when we have to turn over what we think we ought to do to You. Another, Father, is when we have to say, I've been comfortable waiting. But God, I've gotten so comfortable waiting that it's hard to get me moving. Holy Spirit, I pray today as Jesus instructed His disciples to wait, as You've already poured out Your Spirit upon so many that are here this morning, as You have blessed us and as we think of Your blessings, whether it is a loved one, a spouse, a gift, Father, those great gifts came from You. And we are grateful for the Holy Spirit's work. And we pray one final time that You will fill us and use us, not so this church gains numbers, but, Father, so Your kingdom will gain Your children. I pray that You will use us here in these streets and in the streets of Honduras and every other place that we will go to this week. For your glory and your glory alone, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. The start.
of the Holy Spirit's work is His work drawing you to Jesus. For some of you here, it may mean that He is calling you to make the first time confession of your faith. That you have never yet said, I belong to Him and I want to belong to Him and will belong to Him. For some of you, it is plugging your life into a church family. And this is the place and this is the time. If that's you, God has a place for you, not in this church, but in His kingdom family. You are invited to come and be a part of His family. The way we do that is during this song, we will stand together and we'll sing. And if God is speaking to you about a decision that needs to be made, I'd invite you to simply come to our altar area. You come as God leads. Stand together. And you come as God leads you.